Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Jim, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Iran today. How are things going for the uh, clerical elite and leaders there in Iran? Not very well. Uh, they've been uh, suffering from a, a huge economic problem, which is raising the uh, poverty rates in Iran. Uh, the inflation is about 100% a year now. The uh, currency is uh, rapidly declining in value. Um, and they need as much money as they can. Unfortunately, uh, they are close to getting a new deal from the United States and the other uh, European members of the, uh, the 2015 treaty uh, to increase the amount of money they can get. Now, the pushback is that Iran has been consistently increasing its attacks. In fact, the recent attack on Salman Rushdie in the United States has been traced back to partly to Iran. And Iran, even though they deny any involvement, Iranian media praised the attack you know, when it first came out. So, you know, Israel, and all the other problem is, of course, Israel refuses to, uh, to believe that Iran will uh, lessen their, uh, their, their violence uh, if they get this treaty. And they're even more willing to actually attack Iran. And the Iranians, like a lot of other countries in the world, uh, Russia, for example, are very much afraid of what the uh, the Israeli uh, F-35Is can do. We've ran a piece about that recently in, in strategy page. So things are not looking good, but Iran is basically going for broke. Give me more or I'll do nothing. So now are they, they're continuing to uh, stir the pot in Yemen, right? Yes. Uh, not only Yemen, from which they are attacking uh, launching crews uh, and ballistic missiles at, at, at targets in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, but, you know, they're, they, they, as part of a peace deal in Yemen, they're asking for a lifting of the, um, the embargo, the naval embargo. That embargo has become uh, enormously more, uh, how should I put it, effective recently. They've captured several boats uh, containing missile components, they basically uh, send those components in, and then Iranian and uh, Yemeni you know, technicians put it together. Recently, one of those assembly processes went awry, and the thing exploded, you know, killing a number of the Iranians and Yemenis involved. That won't really set them back. They barely have no inhibitions about continuing attack no matter what, uh, and that's where it stands right now. The Iranians haven't changed. And uh, in, even European countries are, are reluctant to follow the American lead and to, uh, and to sign a new treaty no matter what. One of the things, too, is they're having some internal problems. Their population is not happy with the inflation. They're not happy with a lot of the restrictions. And they're on the verge of revolt, right? Yeah, that's been something they've been reluctant to do. But remember, you have a generation of Iranians who grew up after the revolution. So as far as they're concerned, you know, uh, what the, uh, the Islamic dictatorship is telling them about the evil monarchy, you know, the last Shah, uh, means less. 
Uh, in fact, a lot of the, the old timers are pointing out and saying this out loud that life was actually better under the Shah. He was bad, yes. He had problems, yes. But uh, given the alternative of the, uh, the religious dictatorship, things have just gotten a lot worse. And this doesn't you know, sit well with the, uh, with the Islam. And indeed, the only thing that's been holding back a full-scale revolution so far is the prospect of the uh, you know, Iranian Islamic Guard Corps, the, the bodyguard, as it were, for the, um, for the Islamic dictatorship, and the, and the check, as it were, on the, any, any misbehavior by the regular Iranian military, uh, is shrinking in popularity. In other words, they have fewer recruits. And uh, the fear is that, you know, the people will say, well, look, we have nothing to lose. It's just getting worse the longer these, you know, religious thugs are running the show and, and there will be a revolution. Now, nobody really wants that because they have a lot of weapons. They have a lot of people. It can get very bloody very quickly. And there's no assurance that whatever government comes out of that will feel any more kindly towards the West. But if they're willing to cut down on the, uh, the terrorism international terrorism, uh, they'll certainly have more money. And if they eliminate the Islamic government and that results in an end, you know, to the sanctions, which is a strong possibility, uh, there may be relative peace. But, you know, it won't come without a cost. And for Iran, the cost is, you know, a lot of people lost in another revolution. One of the things is the nuclear threat from Iran. Is there evidence that they're continuing to develop their <clears throat> nuclear capabilities? Yes, and what's very interesting about that, the only ones you know, making a, a, a substantial move against it are the Israelis. And they have been blowing up you know, recently with the help of Iranians, it turns out. The Mossad gets in there, but uh, they've always, like the, since the, I think it was the, what, 2018 when they stole that half ton of documents, they did that with assistance from some Iranians. It was later discovered. And some of the uh, subsequent attacks, which blew up new underground, you know, uh, enriched uranium facilities, uh, turned out to involve Iranians. In fact, the Iranians got the uh, asked Interpol to issue a red notice to arrest, you know, certain uh, Iranians they were pretty sure were involved. Now, I, as far as I can tell, I keep checking. Uh, Interpol never acted on that. Um, so, you know, the, the Israelis uh, are keeping a closer eye on it than anybody else is, and they've been systematically attacking not only the, the facilities, no matter how well hidden they are, uh, but also the nuclear scientists. And, of course, this is making people reluctant to work for the nuclear program, although you really don't have much of a choice. But that's the problem for most Iranians. They don't have a choice. They want their choice back. The leader of their oh, revolutionary... Uh, not guard, but they're, uh, and maybe that's the right terminology, uh, but he was assassinated uh, with the missile strike. Um, right, right. That was under when Trump was in, in charge. Right. Uh, but, but, but they're also wanting revenge for, you know, more recent attacks. You know, any attack on Iranians doing their duty, as it were, is considered attack on Islam and an attack on Iran. Of course, what mitigates that is the fact that uh, the Iranians who are Shia, which are only about 10 percent of the, uh, uh, the world uh, Islamic population, have declared war on the uh, Saudi Arabians and basically want to get control of the uh, Mecca and Medina, the, the most holy shrines uh, in Islam. 
And uh, there's not much support for that outside the uh, Shia community. And even a lot of Shia, you know, can do the math and realize, you know, the, the, there's nothing to really be gained. I mean, if the if the Saudis got incredibly sloppy and we could just waltz in, well, that's one thing. But the 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 uh, Arab states have made formal alliances with Israel. Saudi Arabia is reluctant because they were the ones who basically led the uh, call for the destruction of Israel or, you know, the, the reestablishment of the, of the Palestinian state, which would destroy Israel under the Palestinian terms. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Saudis are, are slowly, as much as they can, they have to be very careful about internal, uh, you know, peace, as it were. But they are unofficially moving towards it. Uh, apparently, they're, they're willing to allow uh, Israeli uh, warplanes to uh, transit Saudi Arabia if they are going to make an attack on, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Iranian uh, nuclear facilities. Uh, I mean, that goes under the, uh, the saying, you know, it's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. Uh, so the Saudis are, are willing to make a mistake. You know, to let that happen. But eventually, you know, they may. I mean, they, the Saudis also took the lead in reforming Islam. They started the, the Islamic Reformation uh, project, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, and they've been making very slow progress because basically they created a monster that they have a hard time, you know, taming. Um, but they keep trying. I mean, the, the leadership uh, uh, realize that they have a long term problem with the Islamic uh, radicalism. Uh, in Iran, and they, they note one Arab country after another is taming it. Uh, United Arab Emirates never had a problem, or if they did, they were able to basically contain it. And most other you know Arab states are doing the same thing. Of course, one thing that makes the Israelis, uh, how should I put it, confident, is that the the uh, Palestinians, especially Hamas and Gaza, uh, joined by the Fatah. They basically got on the pro-Iran bandwagon because everybody else had cut off the the foreign aid, even the Arab states, and uh, that basically uh, put them in the uh, in the in the anti-Arab field as far as the uh, the you know the uh, Iran's attitude towards Arabs. Uh, so you know things are not going well politically. But again, there's no easy solution to it. Uh, the the Saudis know that, the Iranians know that, and the Iranians are depending on that keeping them in power. Why haven't the Saudis been more aggressive in their response to missiles coming out of Yemen at them from Iran? They know where they're coming from. They had the uh, <clears throat> UAV attack on them a couple of years ago. They seem to not respond to this really aggressively, that it it's uh, a, more of a passive type of thing than it is... Uh, you know, a reaction, you know, they don't seem to react to it much. Well, you've got to keep in, uh, keep in mind the uh, Saudi history. Abdul Aziz uh, Saud, he founded the, uh, the, uh, the, the kingdom in the 1930s after a prolonged civil war. He used a lot of, uh, how should I put it, uh, fanatic, you know, Wahhabi. Wahhabi is a very conservative strain of, of uh, Islam that, that predominates in Saudi Arabia. And he, either ever since his victory, he's had he had a difficult time. He died, you know, I think in the nineteen late nineteen forties, and um, he he basically passed on to his many sons and now grandsons or the new heirs uh, that they they had to handle, you know, um, 
how should I put transformation in Saudi Arabia very carefully. And he set a good example. For example, when the uh, the religious zealots, as it were, protested about him introducing radio uh, into Saudi Arabia, that was a that was a big deal. He basically came up with the the idea of saying, "Well, listen to this this broadcast." And he had somebody uh, basically preaching on the uh, on the radio broadcast, you know, reciting uh, you know verses of the uh, of the Quran, and that they basically had to be well, yes, you know, you know, uh, electronic media can be you know permissible. Uh, they basically allowed women to drive cars. Uh, women can go to college and work. I mean, for example, that's one advantage Iran has always had. They've always been, you know, ever since the the uh, the Ayatollahs took over with their dictatorship, they continue to uh, allow women into education, something the 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 Afghan Taliban won't do, and uh, a large proportion of their their doctors, scientists, engineers are women, and they're allowed to work in mixed environments and so on and so forth. And that's one of the strengths of the Iranians. And, and you know, the Saudis recognize that, the other, you know, uh, Arab states. I mean, for example, uh, United Arab Emirates in the, in the, in the, um, uh, in the annual survey of uh, corruption are less corrupt than Israel. For a long time, Israel was in the lead. But as, as some Israelis say, you know, we're turning into a Middle Eastern country. And, and the UAE example, you know, uh, you know showed that. So, you know, reform is happening in the Arab states, but Saudi Arabia is the hardest case because they've always been the most conservative and, uh, and the oil is keeping them going. One thing that is a sobering change for many uh, Saudis, especially uh, uh, star, you know, heavily religious ones, is that the oil is running out. Uh, and if, if the new uh, nuclear power sources, you know, which are coming on the market in Europe, you know, the, the cheap ones, the cheap, safe ones, and ones you basically can have one for each town or, you know, city, uh, this would uh, greatly reduce uh, the need for oil or natural gas. And this would, uh, this would uh, uh, you know, cut the money that uh, the Saudis can get for their remaining oil. So they, they recognize the trends, but they realize that moving too fast will just blow up, you know, Saudi Arabia and uh, and you know ruined everything for everyone is the Quds force as active as they were when uh Suleimani who was the one that was assassinated have they have they been as active or are they not as active as they had been well they are as active but the the uh, the uh, the 19, uh, 2018 you know renewed sanctions economic sanctions cut the amount of money they had to play with. Now, the amount of money that is going to the Quds Force for the overseas wars was always a bone of contention. You know, the, the contention. The, uh, the Iranians found out, the Iranian public found out how much of that money was going to them, and uh, the, the government was able to cut the uh, budget for the Quds Force. So they've been less successful in Syria. Uh, Yemen has been a low-cost operation. So they haven't seen budget cuts. But in other parts of the world, uh, there's simply less money to spend. And uh, and uh, the Quds Force is not as aggressive and as effective as it could be. But give them more money, they'll become more dangerous. Which is the issue with giving them more money because of the treaty 
or anything like that. Yeah, and that's supposed to, to uh, basically halt uh, you know, their nuclear weapons program, which they've always insisted officially it doesn't exist. But, you know, ask the, ask the average Iranian, you know, in the street, as when he said, oh, yeah, we're proud of it. We're Iran. We should have nuclear weapons. I mean, simply for being Iran, they've been the local superpower for thousands of years. Uh, the Turks, you know, uh, basically, uh, uh, how should I put it, halted, you know, their, their power in the, uh, the what, 16th, uh, 17th century. Um, but now the, uh, you know, uh, there's more money. Uh, there's a uh, religious dictatorship in Iran. Um, and, uh, there's more of a threat than ever before. Uh, and this is going to continue as long as the, there's money to fund it, but, you know, less money we've already seen means, uh, you know, less violence. For example, in Lebanon, uh, a lot of Iranian, uh, billions of dollars a year went to Syria and, and Lebanon to keep their, uh, Hezbollah, uh, which controls much of Southern uh, Lebanon and the Assad government in power, uh, but it wasn't enough. They could have spent a lot more. For example, they had to fire a lot of their mercenaries uh, in, uh, in uh, Syria, uh, and many of the best ones were Afghans, Shia, Afghan Shia. Uh, in fact, the, the Afghan Shia mercenaries were the ones that had the fewest cuts because they were the most reliable. And of course, now they have a problem with Afghanistan where the Taliban are back in power, and the Shia are being persecuted again, and Iran's threatening to basically, well, they are already in a, in a site of semi-war on their border. Um, and, uh, and that's another mess uh, that Iran has to deal with uh, because of the, uh, you know, the money problems and the, and the anti-Shia violence, which was held in abeyance uh, during the Republic, you know, after tw- 2001 until 21. Uh, there was a, there was a re, re, the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan it was replaced by the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is now broke and is making all sorts of promises. No, we've reformed. You know, we're not going to host Al Qaeda anymore. And bingo, uh, they shot Bin Laden's replacement, uh, who was basically uh, living in a, uh, a nice upscale neighborhood in uh, Kabul. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's no end to these problems. Now, Iran historically has given a less open sanctuary to groups like Al-Qaeda. Anybody who is basically attacking the, the, the West, in other words, the enemies of my enemy are my friends, at least quietly. And now there's a, there's a threat that the uh, Al-Qaeda uh, may be forced to move some of its operations uh, to uh, Iran, uh, their leadership operations. But they'll have to operate covertly, very quietly, and um, and the Iranians are more nervous about that because they've noticed that the Americans quickly found out, you know, that uh, that Zahari, the the the, um, the replacement for Bin Laden, very efficient guy, uh, was living in Kabul, and, and they sent two missiles to uh, end that. Um, and uh, the Iranians are afraid, especially <laughs> with the intelligence that the Israelis are, are obtaining uh, in Iran. A lot of it from Iranians. I mean, Iranians don't consider that traitor's behavior. They consider that patriotic behavior. You know, any any move to uh, remove the Islamic dictatorship is seen as good for Iran, and they're basically right. So, you know, anything the, uh, the religious government does to give any uh, succor, as it were, to al-Qaeda will probably be revealed, and that'll put him in more trouble. So, no, things are not going well, and uh, there's there's not much, you know, hope. 
under the current circumstances for things to get any better for the religious government. What is happening between Iran and Iraq right now? Uh, you know, Iran had been uh, stirring up a lot of trouble. They had their uh, their groups there in Iraq that were pro-Iranian. Uh, what has continued to go on there? Well, they did get a law passed. I mean, there's still a deadlock in, in, in Parliament that the uh, the anti-Iran coalition uh, led by Ayatollah uh, Seder, he's been, you know, a, a major factor in Iraqi politics for years. Even though he was trained in, in Iran, he quickly realized that Iran is the enemy, not the friend. And while there's not a government, they were a, the, the parliament is still in session, uh, and uh, they may not be able to pick a prime minister, but they could pass a law making it illegal to, to support Israel in any way. Now, that was really an empty gesture, because Iraqis, Iraqis will do what they want to do. Uh, they want to do is keep the Iranians out. Uh, so far, the Iranians are making a major effort to maintain their foothold uh, in Iraq. But Iraq sells their oil. They've seen a measure of prosperity return. And they, they don't want to lose it because of Iran, which is difficult to do because Iran doesn't want to move out, uh, you know, will not move out willful, willingly uh, simply to make life better for the Iraqis. Sure. Anything that we haven't covered on I Iran that we need to bring up? Those are basically the high points. I mean, the, the situation is the same, only getting worse for Iran. Uh, and when that happens, it gets better for the, the victims of Iran. I mean, even in Yemen, the uh, the Yemenis, the, the Shia uh, you know, rebels in, no in northern uh, Yemen, they are getting sick and tired of the war. And it's getting difficult to uh, to keep them, you know, in the fight. But they basically have a problem in that uh, they want to have some autonomy, which they used to have until the 1960s. There was a series of of civil wars and wars in uh, in Yemen after uh, after the 60s, uh, which unified. It used to be two, uh, you know, uh, Yemeni states after the British left, and they managed to form one. Uh, but that fell apart again in 2015 when the uh, Yemeni rebels, with the backing of Iran, at first Iran denied it, then they took you know uh, credit for it, uh, came back in uh, to support the Yemenis. Uh, so you know they're they're losing ground there. The the recent uh, outbreak of violence by the uh, Islamic uh, Jihad group in in uh, in Gaza, uh, which is openly backed by I, I, Iran. Um, uh, was very unpopular in Gaza and with, um, uh, with you know, Palestinians in general because they don't see help from Iran helping them in any way. So, you know, uh, the Iranians still make noise, but they can't make a difference. And uh, that, that, in many places, simply creates a stalemate. So really, the only thing that can be done right now, and the Iranian people don't like to face this, is a, is a you know, another civil war, as it were, to, to replace the uh, dictatorship, they, the, the, how should I put it, the, the oppressive dictatorship they thought they had gotten rid of in uh, 1979 when they ousted the Shah. All right, well, we'll wrap it up there, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.